0: Frederick Allen Hampton was an American Black Panther Party activist and revolutionary socialist. Fred Hampton was a leader in the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP. Leading their youth council of the organization's West Suburban branch, he came to prominence in Chicago as chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black
1: Panther Party and deputy chairman of the National BPP. On the evening of December 3rd, 1969, William O'Neill, who was employed by the FBI to infil- infiltrate the Black Panther Party, slipped a powerful sleeping drug into Hampton's drink and then left. Officers were dispatched to raid his apartment. They stormed in and opened fire, killing his security guard. Then they opened fire on Hampton's bedroom, where he laid unconscious from the drug, with his sleeping, almost nine months pregnant fiance. After the gunfire, he was found to only be wounded and not dead. Upon that discovery, an officer shot him twice in his head and killed him. Welcome back to the about cast
0: today. We're going to be tackling another leader and we're going to be scoring our leaders from here on out on a scale of about six categories, empathy, integrity, collaboration, vision, self-awareness, and their X factor. That'll be scored out of 30, so five for each category. And we're taking on Fred Hampton. In these times of turmoil, this young, at the time, 21 years old of his death, was a visionary. He was an activist, and he was part of a a
1: movement that was much larger than himself. And to give you a little bit of background on Fred Hampton, um, he was born August 30th, 1948 and died like we said or you heard in the intro in 1969 december 3rd so 20 years of age or 21 years old um when he was assassinated and that was by uh, a really interesting group um uh, just for a few factors of, uh, but the group is called the counterintelligence program or for short uh nicknamed cointelpro and that was a government-sponsored um kind of branch or agency by the FBI who uh, set out to do a lot of interesting things. And one of them was also to uh, send a, a letter uh, prompting Martin Luther King or not prompting, but asking him to commit suicide and a few other things. Um, uh, Notable things or notable dates around Fred Hampton's lifetime is that Malcolm X got assassinated in uh, 1965. And then of course, um, Throughout this whole thing, and when Fred Hampton was the most active, Martin Luther King Jr. got assassinated April 4th, 1968, which is a year uh, year and six months plus of Fred Hampton's assassination as well.
0: And so if you aren't familiar with COINTELPRO, they essentially in the 60s were what you'd consider a conspiracy theory among the public. People believe that they were out there, but there's no proof until Fred Hampton was murdered. Some documents came out and they essentially stated the purpose of that home raid was to find and manage Fred Hampton. And then down the line, Fred Hampton's fiance at the time sues the government and wins a few million dollars from this. And they say COINTELPRO or the counterintelligence program has been disbanded. No one is 100% sure if it's actually been disbanded or renamed, but that's those early years. But you have to remember, too, at 21, Fred Hampton was just at the age someone may be coming out of college. He was a tremendous athlete and student that graduated high school with honors. He had a high involvement in the Black Panther movement as a high school student, as a 17 and an 18-year-old. He was so intelligent that he wanted to study pre-law at UCLA. However, he got so engaged in his work with the NAACP chapter and the Black Panther Party that he ultimately stayed in Chicago
1: to help the cause. A couple of tidbits on um, one the uh, the kind of how the documents came up on Cointel Pro was there was a small branch uh, of two two FBI agents who remain in kind of the CO, intel Pro headquarters in Pennsylvania and I don't specifically remember the actual location or the town but uh, there was a group of people who ended up raiding that and then found all of these documents and um uh, led to the lawsuit and on you know discovering these things um the the shocking thing is that you know I think the the best and the most prolific assassination group in history is the government um, this one specifically uh targeted Fred Hampton because of his ideologies of um kind of a neo socialism socialism in a sense and whatnot um and then to further on your point julian he, he you know his presence in the um in the black party movement banther black panther party movement when he was young um he was also credited for a lot of things and one was that there wouldn't have been as many um, you know, like African American or black teachers in the actual Chicago school district where he grew up, if it wasn't for Fred Hampton kind of advocating for it as a as a teen in his seventeen, sixteens and whatnot. So um it's extraordinary to see kind of um somebody who has such um you know, latent um skill, it seems like being gifted in uh sports and academics and obviously Um, quite prolific with uh, persuasion and advancing other people's or his own ideas in a collective manner as well.
0: And we might say too, I found this interesting, Jordan, is that this leader, Fred Hampton, was extremely self-aware for a 18, 19, 20-year-old who understood his intellect at a very high level, understood his characteristic being extremely charismatic, understanding the power of intelligence and education in these positions, and essentially was using his greatest power of presentation. He was a master orator. He was the likes of what you see MLK, the likes of what you heard from Frederick Douglass, the ability of Sam Cook in the way of presenting these messages to his people. And that is one of the biggest threats at the time of the 60s from Cointel pro or the government is that these activists are understanding and intelligently informing and educating their audiences on how to progress in society. So he uses these skills to impress these opinions and these thoughts and give these think pieces on where African American or Black culture should be moving to in the mid to late sixties as a 20 year old, it's absolutely phenomenal to think of someone who's a few years younger than me being at that stage at the height of those tensions and that civil rights movement to go on stage and go on TV and perform at
1: that level. I think it's a kind of one of the classic, um, like byproducts and the way that, you know, 23 and Me can track uh, where your lineage is or who your cousins are, or who uh, your great-grandfather is and where they come from. It's almost, um, you know, you could see these characteristics in people. And Fred Hampton, I think, is an excellent example where you mentioned uh, his skill of oration. And I think that's um, a perfect example of who he was around, talking about Malcolm X. Um you know, uh, with Dr. Martin Luther King, like you mentioned, um, these people were ex- exquisite storytellers and, um, and that's how I think one of their greatest strengths and one that Fred Hampton obviously gleamed off of just by being exposed to, or, um, you know, of course, I'm sure he crafted the skill himself a bit too, just being how prolific of one he was. Uh, another thing that I think is important to talk about is that, um, well, two things, one, I think there is a sense of a prodigy in Fred Hampton. You know, We talk about his age and we talk about what he's done. And essentially what that means is that he was extremely advanced for his age. And I think that human beings naturally have a predilection towards people who are extraordinarily gifted in a sense where it almost seems unnatural that they could have gained this skill in this amount of time. And I think that's a classic Fred Hampton thing, being that he was doing crazy things and Um, had such an impact on the, on like a global scale uh, for such a young age. And I think that helped him with his charismatic kind of charm in a sense where people really could get behind somebody um, not in almost, you know, in the sense of modern day, you think of a young person not being intelligent or not being worldly enough to take on the views of uh, something as complex as social justice. But uh, he actually kind of used something that would be a disadvantage of normal people being like lack of experience in age as kind of a as one of the things that made him so compelling uh, being so young and um, gifted. And uh, I, I think that's you know, extraordinarily clear in that. Um, and, he, you know, you could just see he's a thinker, extraordinarily intelligent as far as creative problem solving by the things he does that we'll talk about a little bit more with. The non-aggression pact um you know he's uh he's extraordinarily ge- generous and things of that nature where it's just um you know it's it's kind of freaky to see all these characteristics in a human being for one um but to see them at uh, matured and developed at such a young age is um you know that that just sets it even further on
0: and as a young adult fred hampton was also extremely grounded i think That's where some leaders can get lost in their path is losing their roots, losing what drove them to be where they're at. And Fred Hampton understood Chicago, understood his representation. And I think other individuals saw themselves in him, even though he was 20 or 21. And also, the Black Panther Party has always been majorly female with male representatives. And so on the other other end, you have. Angela Davis, who is highly intelligent as well, battling her own lawsuits from her research and feeding between her and Fred Hampton passings and spending notes that there is this sense of unity going on. And so for Fred Hampton, he understood before he was in the Black Panther party, he was working with the NAACP. And what he was doing at 17 and 18 was forming this West Suburban branch all on his own. It didn't exist. He used his powers and his intellect to persuade over 500 members to join the NAACP in the 60s. And you have to remember, that back then, it wasn't nearly as easy to spread information as it is today to get people to join. We always think in common terms, but Fred Hampton was doing putting the foot to the pavement, utilizing very detailed and specific messaging strategies to attract fellow young black or African American or people interested in the NAACP movement to join his branch. And so he creates this branch of over 500 members and NAACP is super stoked to say the least. And Fred slowly starts to see, you know, I I really like what I'm doing with NAACP, but I'm starting to align with the Black Panther Party in some regards and transitions from NAACP to the Black Panther Party and the Black Panther Party itself, you don't just start at the top or get to the top
1: like Fred Hampton did. He had to start at the bottom. Yeah. And um, I think that's another kind of, I know it's, it's, it's going to sound like we're, it's almost like we're putting this guy up on a pedestal um, which, which you'll later on, we'll talk about kind of uh, some of his weaknesses. And although he didn't have uh, very many from, from our research, um, he did have one that was ex- extremely, uh, you know, ex- an extreme detriment of um, him as the leader. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, once again, this is, this is a young kid. Um, the Black Panther Party movement uh, recognized him um, from his work with the uh, NAACP, and he worked his way all the way up doing like certain initiatives. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, we'll talk about. And he eventually works his way up to a chairman. And, you know, through that time, he, I feel like he's, it's kind of like a locomotive or a train mm-hmm. where, you know, it's when it first starts, almost like a rocket ship where it first starts. Uh, you know, and the rocket ship takes off. The last, um, you know, SpaceX did did a rocket launch to the moon, or not the moon, but the International Space Station. And when you see a rocket launch, you see this tall, kind of monolithic thing, and then you hear the countdown. You know, four, three, two, one. You hear this massive and giant explosion. But if you actually are just staring at it and you put it on mute you would see this thing kind of, you know, the flames at the bottom of it. But at first you don't see it move at all, you know, and then it starts like slowly moving and then you're like, okay, so it's off the ground and it's, you know, moving. And now it's like going even faster and now it's even going faster than you realize it, you know, it was going and then it breaches the atmosphere. And I think that was kind of Fred Hampton's mo- like an inertia inertia and momentum when it came to um, his work in how quickly he came about where you know if you were to track it you'd almost be if you blinked you would miss a big chunk of that you know for that fred hampton rocket ship fred hampton x um it was slow but then it got extremely fast extremely quick and um throughout his lifetime obviously but also in throughout his moments being uh you know working for social justice and uh civil rights and that's a i think that's a great example i didn't really thought of
0: it that way jordan and i think what history shows you whether it's literature or videos it or stories it never shows you the background work that's happening and so when fred hampton joins you often to remember right that mlk and malcolm x are still alive and preaching their messages for civil rights in very different regards And he's taking this information and deciphering and also discussing with other leaders and members of the Black Panther Party what this means, what they can do to take action, how to help progress and unite as many people as possible for their civil rights and to move forward in society. And that's one of the things that stays consistent with Fred Hampton is his integrity. He never changed. Right He always had the same vision in some regard, even though he was very, very young. He understood his power and his message that he wanted to preach, and nothing was going to change that. If he heard Martin Luther King say one thing or Malcolm X or Angela Davis or anyone in that circle say something, he was going to decipher that and say, "Does that align with my message? Do I need to preach?" violent terms in some regards as Malcolm X? Do I need to be as delicate as Martin Luther King? Do I have to be as outspoken as Angela Davis? And throughout the time he shapes himself, but keeps that message standard, which is very tough as a leader, as you get this power and people are giving you all this information to
1: stay within the realm of what you truly believe in. I th- I think the, the clear sign, and I'm sure we'll see it in other people as well, Um, is just like a ludicrous sense of conviction and his his resolve, which is um, personally one of my most um, because I think resolve is uh, kind of a systematic or can be a systematic trait towards gratitude. Um, But Mm -hmm. further on in that point, I think that his resolve of kind of um, I think I think neo-socialist could be a good word to describe him. Of kind of the way that he worked was so in stride and in tune with what he was kind of uh, what he believed, and so with that neo neo socialism to you know take away from the extremely rich and help out the impoverished was you know many of his acts. So uh, the beautiful thing about this guy was that he you walked the walk and quicker than I think he even talked the talk. And a perfect example is the um, so there was an incident where one of his first times being arrested was had to do with kind of this socialist like act. And it was quite like Robin hood ask. And I think that Robin hood's like the f- perfect or the first, you know, childhood thing of a socialist that we get, that's a hero. Um, and, uh, not that I, you know, this is beyond what my personal perspective of a socialist is, but, uh, uh you know, he stole about 71 uh, ice cream bars to give to the underprivileged. So like, you know, inner city kids or kids that couldn't afford it on a really hot day in Chicago. Um, And, you know, obviously, you know, sneaking. Could you imagine stealing 71 of anything? It could be, you know, short of like 71, you know, like letters and like just going about it. Like, you know, there's a sure shot that you're going to get caught, but through this man's conviction and resolve of, you know, pushing the socialist agenda forward and walking that walk, like I said, he did that thing. And then, you know, this stacks up on, uh, later he does bigger things, this Fred X movement. Again, he, you know, had a free breakfast, breakfast program where he basically fed, I think about 600 people, um, in the mornings, and just just fed him socialism he was pushing that agenda he also had a thing of you know like free legal support to people as well and i think that this is just you know one of the strongest things and i would love to debate this topic because um as you can uh, we'll go through the scores later but i was having a hard time determining what that actually was because in a sense um you know there is a like julian mentioned there is empathy on our scale which i think is extraordinarily important for uh, not only a leader but just a just a regular person's success but um i'm not necessarily sure that's not just sympathy because he grew up around this stuff and even though he was extra- extraordinarily intelligent and um seemed like he had so many resources um you know there was a rumor that said that his mom and I apologize for not confirming this beforehand, but I thought this would be a perfect example of a, a place while I was doing research, I heard this, his mom babysat Emmett Till. So there's, there's these, um, I don't know how to describe it. I think that there's a real sense of something that he's lived through, that he doesn't want others to live through himself, which isn't technically empathy, but uh, is sympathy, which is, is close to, but not the same thing. But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Julian?
0: So I think the, when I, I take a step back, right, that free breakfast program was huge in a lot of ways. As Jordan said, it, it fed a, a tremendous amount of people. And it wasn't like Fred Hampton just came out and did it one day on a whim. He had gone to the local precincts and governments in order to get a form of aid or welfare to help with this cause. And basically at the time, right in the 60s, everyone was saying, we don't want to help a black man, the black woman in any regards, in these strategies. And so Fred continued to push on and found a way to fund this free breakfast program. And even with the law assistance, he went to a ton of lawyers to try to get that help, and very few gave him the okay that they would work with him. And it was all these steps you don't see behind the scenes to do so, and how many times this dude was shut down in order to do these jobs. I'm sure he had a tremendous amount of ideas that never got anywhere because no one wanted to help. You look back on it like, oh, free breakfast program, that makes sense. That's going to help in some regards. It's going to add nutrition. It's going to add aid to these communities that need help. And I think where that pivots to is in terms of you know being. I think it. I understand where you're coming from in terms of empathy and sympathy. And I think you know if you look at the very broad understanding of empathy, it's just a simple ability to understand or share those feelings. And I think for him, it's a a little bit of both. I think he understands those feelings as a young black man who came up through that and was raised through a similar system or environment. And he's also sharing those feelings because now, as you pivot from a 14-year-old to a 18-year-old, your perspective changes. Your feelings start to feel, instead of sad or hungry at a young age, you start to feel mad or aggravated. And you understand what you have to do to push this forward. And you could say that Fred fell under that category of uh, socialism in some regard, more specifically revolutionary socialism, and believing that some sort of revolution is necessary to bring these large structural changes. And so he's trying to create this revolution in himself from the feelings of what he knows now and what he sees in his local community and preaching that message to a larger choir in order to start poking the bear and making these changes occur and bringing it to, if anything, national attention to get that sympathy from a larger audience. Who's starting to say, you know what, that's not right. The only way people back then were learning about this stuff was on TV or the radio. Once again, they didn't have any form of quick communication. It was the TV or the radio. The TV didn't pick it up. You didn't know. So, Fred Hampton used his power to push himself to make these and talk about these changes and mention the free breakfast program or this law assistance when he was being filmed for whatever reason, or they were interviewing or sitting in on a speech to push that to larger. A larger group or demographic to under, also understand and share those feelings throughout the United States.
1: Okay. So you're essentially kind of equating it to not his, not particularly his ability of empathy, but his ability to invoke others to feel empathy, which I think is uh, maybe notably um, different, but I think kind of goes on to another spot that i think is probably pinpoints that a little bit better was uh as far as collaboration and i think collaboration is ridiculous like you know this dude is really extraordinary when it comes to that and when i mentioned creative problem solver um it's like when i was reading and doing research on fred it you know so essentially to give you guys Uh, you know, let you guys in my head and understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. This dude was extraordinarily persuasive and um, not only, you know, in collaboration with others around his specific movement, but collaboration around people that necessarily weren't particularly um, initially right off the bat interested in that. And I think that's probably where the invocation of empathy um, you know, we're on the same point on that where he was extraordinarily um, gifted in that sense um, or sharp because he had a non-aggression pact, which particularly pinpointed the most aggressive members of our society today, which is gang members. And so, essentially, what he would do is that with kind of the um, the message of. Um, you know, this is what we're about, the Black Panther Party movement. And um, it's particularly what Fred is about, because obviously Fred is, you know, Fred at all times and stays on brand with, uh, I actually really enjoyed that. The thing that you said, as far as a um, social, uh, social revolutionary, I think is what you said. And well, you know, Fred says, I'm a revolutionary. Um, You know, it's one of his classic sayings, but uh, you know, I just, I just want you guys to think about like how creative that is to, um, go to, it's almost like, see, and I, I, I don't have an analogy for this particularly right now, but if you can imagine, um, going to these gangs that don't give a shit about you and compelling them to feel a certain way, to be on your team, to, not only um you know push your cause but also um do something that might be against their nature as far as not being aggressive and that might be towards another gang member or another person but um you know that level of collaboration is ridiculous it's just crazy man at you know and once again i mean we're beating a dead horse here but i think it's necessary being that uh, it's so extraordinary this kid is well he's a kid man he's a kid while he's doing this and I, and not to sound disrespectful when I say kid, but as far as life goes, man, he was a fourth of his way through life, just about a quarter of his way through life in doing these things where, you know, it's almost like somebody, um, maybe he was playing in a different league. You know, if, if, you know, let's say that an NBA player was playing in the NBA and then for some reason got brought down into the G league, um, He'd just be like, you know, he shouldn't be playing on this level. And I don't think that Fred Hampton should have been doing the things he was doing, or it doesn't make sense for such a young kid to be doing those things.
0: And that non-aggression pact between two game gangs is, I think, an analogy you could use as if, you know, you listener went up to, we're in Southern California and you looked at two of the predominant black gangs and the Bloods or the Crips, and you said, you know for this point in time uh you know why don't we just why don't we just comment down and focus both focus on a a larger uh movement and avoid this type of violence towards one another and essentially it was between Chicago's most powerful street gangs at the time, and that was between the young patriots and the young lords, and he did it, right? And this kind of leads into the other portion of him is what he saw, what he wanted to see as a revolutionary. As you go through this non-aggression pact, you want to cut out the, the violence occurring in the city of Chicago. You go to these gangs and you start to work on that. And then you develop a broader picture for equal, equal representation um, within what we eventually come to know as the cultural movement, the Rainbow Coalition. And so they utilize this coalition concept to bring in a variety of organizations to help for this movement. And. Um, And this was a big thing that put him on the radar for the government at that time, is that highly intellectual bringing a diverse group of people and organizations together to create this power to persuade the area, the state, the country to look into these nasty doings and these nasty structures that have been placed around them as the Black community is frightening to someone who's trying to maintain power.
1: It was, I think, about when he was 17, from what I read, that the FBI was watching Fred. So before, could I think that's, you know, you could imagine that it would be in a movie, but the kid is a hacker where the FBI would be watching him or them. So it's just kind of, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, the the main reason that the um, COINTELPRO was so interested in Fred was at the time, there was a lot of pressure and a little bit of history. There was a lot of pressure between, um, obviously – international forces, we're talking uh, Russia, um, um, and also a little bit further out east of kind of this socialist and communist, um, communist friction rubbing up against the, of course, capitalist um, ideas of the West. And so being that these were so fresh um, and kind of such a prevalent threat in America, the, the U.S. kind of bumped up. Anybody who was making too much noise about the socialist cause or um, kind of um, anti-capitalist ideas, that's who they keyed in on specifically at this time and uh, was a, somewhat of an interest in the actual uh, Pro. And so that's why they keyed in on some of these people um, as far as Martin Luther King and uh, Fred, Fred Jones as well. And uh, to further on the point with the vision, because um, we're stepping through this. Um, and for you, those of you who are listening at home, this is obviously kind of going through actually what we're scoring on. So we're giving you the evidence of why we decided to score on these things. But um, one more thing on the vision is that he he also – Uh, produced as a chairman of the um, Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party Movement. He also kind of fostered and created the Police Accountability Project, which is still going on today and um, essentially what they are doing. And now they're called the National Police Accountability Project, so NPAP. And they're obviously quite active, quite, quite active um, this year and around this time, being it is uh, 2020. Um With basically accountability um legislation with police officers, um legal action when it comes to those who have been wronged by police and looking into all of those things, so you know um this vision of uh you know this dude once again walked the walk and walked or walked the walk, and then I think talked the talk in some senses, so even backwards, then you usually hear the saying because he was doing a lot. And, um, this is one that you've, you know, exists today and is still quite prevalent. Well, especially during these moments of, um, kind of unrest, you could say. So, um, another like really strong point of, of him, um, kind of fostering people of his community, of his type and of his demographic and not necessarily, you you don't need to look into black, but, uh, there's other communities that, um, you know, are afflicted by, um, you know, corruption and the things that he was seeing in his neighborhood, as far as lack of resources. And that's why he did, you know, his outreach programs for the food um, so that people can, you know, have something to eat and uh, things of that nature. So um, just, uh, you know, there's things in ve- well, not even it's, it's, you can't really say a vestige or like vestigial limbs of Fred Hampton's, but um, cause they're alive still, but um, there's things that he's left behind, That is um, quite active and prevalent to this day, uh, which is an attribution to to his ambition. Of course, he wasn't leading it twenty years ago because he wasn't around. But um, the founding and getting that up and off of its legs and um, into good leadership is something that I don't think that you could not credit Fred Hampton for, at least in some sort of way. I agree, and I think there's a, a
0: plethora of areas that Fred Hampton used his ability to seek information positively and shape a, a vision for his future and what he'd like to see. He was, in terms of the Black Panther Party, he was a huge advocate for the Black Panther Party. He had a six-week political training to join the Black Panther Party. He didn't believe in run and gun, so to speak, join the party and you're a Black Panther. He believed if you want to be a Black Panther, I want you to at least understand some base foundationals of politics in the political environment you're in of your neighborhood, your county, your government, your national government. Understand these things so that way when you are questioned or you are questioning, you understand what they're rooted in. And the Black Panther Party sought out their individuals and brought them into these trainings. And so that way you could at least have Fred Hampton inform and have these conversations with people who at least vaguely understand the political system. And going back to that police accountability project, what we look at eventually is how Fred Hampton dies, right? And so William O'Neill. William O'Neill is essentially arrested twice for car theft and impersonating a federal officer when he crosses lines. And so the FBI of Chicago recruits him after a plea deal and says, hey, we're gonna reduce your sentence and the impact of these crimes if you join the black panther party if you infiltrate the black panther party and that's who william o'neill is so william o'neill joins the party begins to rise in the organization Uh, he becomes the director of security and fred hampton's bodyguard and there's part of me that wonders right is that william o'neill does this deal and To rise in the Black Panther Party quickly, you have to be engaged and you have to enjoy what you're doing. And I think it's a very unfortunate system for which, you know, he took this deal for his wrongdoings and found something he may have actually enjoyed, but was tied to the FBI and the government, as Jordan alluded to, who's been watching Hampton since he's 17, to watch him further, to be their informant, to be his security, his bodyguard. And so they're continuing to work with him and understand what Fred Hampton's doing. And Fred Hampton or William O'Neill is basically reporting back to them like, well, you know, Fred's just feeding children right now. Um, He's working on, you know, the local community. He's doing this, that, and the third. And at the time, the president, I believe is J. Edgar Hoover, is saying, we don't want to hear he's doing good things. We want to see the bad things he's doing. We want to hear any potential thing we can spin. And so he starts providing that evidence um, to the government and the FBI while they're spying on him to understand those doings and what may be happening uh, within the Black Panther Party at the time, which in itself is something that Fred Hampton, in his accountability project, um, in his understanding of the government, I'm sure was opposed to, right, is utilizing someone's problems that they may have been pushed into to further harm someone else. And that's kind of where where
1: William O'Neill comes into in the later death of Fred Hampton. And uh, really quickly, I want to kind of add a little bit of color to that too. Um, William O'Neill not only uh, did the job for the FBI kind of as a contractor, but he was so good, um, you know, he provided uh, floor maps of exactly what Fred Hampton's apartment looked like. He, um, you know, gave such great intelligent and pieces of um, importance to the FBI that they actually gave him a bonus um, for everything he did after everything was done of, if you can imagine, $300. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. But um, I think this is kind of a perfect part to... Um, you know, bring it to the actual scoring guide, because we did talk about empathy, integrity, collaboration, vision, self-awareness, and then uh, the X factor, which I think we alluded to a little bit. And the X factor is kind of what we imagine is the, you know, how amazing or how great is the, you know, the special characteristic or the, the sharpest tool of the leader's repertoire and how well did they use it and uh, effectively working with their, um, towards their vision and, uh, and whatnot. So I guess we'll, how about we just go through each and every one of these Julian, as far as, you know, I'll say empathy, you say your empathy, and then we, um, you know, with points and, um, things that we've said before on that. Sound good. Yeah. Let's run it up. Okay. So empathy, I scored him a two and, um, a little bit lower than Julian, but I think the reason why is because once again I was battling between empathy and sympathy in um, that aspect, and that's obviously no cut to Fred Hampton. Um, but as far as feeling what others felt and how others felt, I think that um, you know a lot of different leaders have been uh, amazing at this, and Fred obviously had that and skill set. But uh, I gave him a two for that. for that specific reason.
0: That's fair. I gave him a three, I think. Uh, I think he gave good understanding and shared his feelings well. I don't think it was at an extraordinary level or anything different than the average individual. And so for me, I gave a three just relating it to the average individual on the scale of empathy. He understood his background and understood his audience, but I don't think he truly tapped into that, um, or tapped into his own feelings to provide a, a larger message or, you know, larger deeds down the road. And so that gives
1: us a total score of empathy at two and a half points. And so as far as integrity goes, I gave Fred Hampton a three and uh, with integrity, I was thinking about, um, you know, how he you know, conveyed himself, uh, held himself. And I think everything was exemplary and, um, you know, nothing, nothing that was extreme. I think Dr. Martin Luther King is an outlier with integrity being that he was quite turned the other cheek. Uh, Fred Hampton, I think played almost like, you know, see, it's going to get nerdy, but I'll make it quick. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about Jedis and Sith Lords, where if you're not a Jedi, which is completely the light you're not a Sith lord which is the dark you're somewhere in the gray area and i think fred hampton is a gray um jedi or lights uh, you know force wielder and that's why i gave him a 3
0: yeah uh, i agree with that i think once again kind of an average amount of integrity i mean he stood behind his message in the face of pressure uh, i think he knew who he was i don't didn't see any crazy evidence that persuaded me to bring that up to a, a 4 or a 5 um And I I agree in there. And so that gives us another total score and average for integrity at three. So, so far, Fred
1: Hampton between empathy and integrity is at five and a half uh, points. So when we go to collaboration, this one was a little tough because I was split between two numbers. Um, uh, It was a four and a five. And the reason why so high is because of his ability to tackle creative problem solving and uh, like complex problems. And not only... Um, with his group efforts on reaching out to the public but i think that's one of fred hampton's greatest strengths and one that we talk about with closing um you know his ability to uh, kind of tackle tackle big giant problems uh use it utilizing group and group skill and group force so five five for that young man on that one yeah uh, i didn't think i was going to give out
0: a five this early but i gave him a five i think And during the time as a black male to bring over 500 people to the NAACP to use your voice to grow the Black Panther Party, the non-aggression pack, speaking with different leaders, and that to create so much fear in the government that they need to infiltrate and essentially assassinate you is uh, a godly amount of collaboration and part of the X factor um, of Fred Hampton that you aren't going to catch every day on the street from your local Fred Meyer cashier, your local grocery store cashier, or, uh, you know, someone you walk by. And I think he definitely exceeds in that area to bring a lot of groups together because we barely, I didn't even mention, it, but like the rainbow coalition is so big. That idea is so vast that as a 20 year old is absurd to think about getting all of the agreements to do that. So we gave him a five uh, that averages out to a five there as well. So now he's at 10 and a half out of 30 points
1: with a few categories left. So the next category we're going to be talking about is vision. And so as far as vision goes, um, obviously we talked about it quite a bit. Uh, Fred's like socialistic vision. And um, the reason I gave it a four and not a five is because um, one, I think there's some actual like technical flaws with socialism in a sense, and, um, maybe not, maybe not totally thought out by Fred Hampton, but it's kind of somewhat of a personal view on that. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, his kind of resolve for his vision was exquisite, but as, as far as the actual foundation that he was standing on, I think it's quite flawed or not quite flawed, but there's enough for me not to give him a perfect score on vision.
0: Yeah, I gave him a four as well, Uh, above average. Part of me, the reason I didn't give him a five in this case was I, not to discredit, I think Fred Hampton was at the right place at the right time with his ideas. Um, I think he was extremely courageous to do so. And I, you know, some of those ideas you have to extrapolate on, but I think some of those ideas may have occurred within the Black community at some point, maybe from someone else um, or been tasked. But I do think the the just the courage to bring that to the forefront um, and think that way as a 20-year-old was definitely above average. And so once again, a four uh, averaging out to a four
1: from us. Uh, and we're moving on to our final two categories. So our uh, second to last category is self-awareness. And you'll see, I'll I gave Fred Hampton another two on this. And one is the classic um, downfall. And I think self-awareness is also kind of awareness of what's around you. So not only like, you know, how you are doing like internally, but I think self-awareness is kind of an art to awareness in general. So I gave him a two uh, just for his lack of awareness of um, not only, you know, him, him as a person, which would be difficult to know as such a young person, but um, self-awareness in how he conducted himself and who he like left around as well, because there's enough introspection and um, letting somebody infiltrate that deeply into your cause. Um, and I'm absolutely not blaming Fred Hampton for being assassinated or having a mole in his operatives and not catching it. That's extraordinarily difficult, but um, it definitely uh, is... One of the factors that I need to weigh out and measure when giving Fred Hampton the score of a two.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Now that I hear you explain it, I gave him a three. I think he just fell into that category of a a, tw- a very powerful 20 year old, um, ju- knew just enough about himself to be effective. Had he gone outside of his comfort zone a bit more often, um, s- sought after other opinions or ideas throughout the united states at that time he may have found a a, a bigger motive or a bigger uh, group or you know a better way to present his message no by no means was he not self aware or was he godlike i think he just kind of fell in the middle road where he knew just enough about himself to to persuade that message but unfortunately didn't at the time what's the ability to get information just didn't do a lot of the leg work probably because he was busy doing other things and helping others that he never really found out more to about himself or what he could utilize of
1: his strengths to to take it to the next level and so that was a two and a half on average, and then for x factor, which is kind of the um, we might want to talk about this a little bit more as far as our you know the special characteristic and it could be different between Julian and I as well. So I personally gave him an X factor of four. And the reason why is because, um, you know, it's almost like a hero's journey cut before you get the full revolution of it. And for the kind of the self-actualization on the other side, Fred Hampton was just ramping up his battle um, for social justice. And I think the one thing that really was amazing and, uh, galvanized people was something I talked about quite a bit in this podcast already, as far as his prodigy like, um, characteristics. And I think that was one of the most powerful things that he brought to the table being so young and so prolific. And, um, that's why I gave him a four.
0: Okay. Uh, so for me, I think the, the X factor for for Fred Hampton was his oration skills and his persuasiveness and that uh, charisma, and I think it fell into a three for me because that was his biggest skill, um, and I think it kind of ties in with self awareness. Where I think if he had just been a bit bigger, right, it wasn't who he was, and that's why we gave I gave him um, you know such a high score on collaboration and vision it just like taking his message outside of Chicago more often and going on these large speaking tours that other black activists were doing at that time, um, I think could have really persuaded a lot more people. Cause I think he fell in that middle between at the time, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X on two ends of the spectrum where you find that middle ground. And a lot of people would aligned with that and he could have educated. And then they could have gone on to, you know, side with one of, MLK or Malcolm X at that time, but I think that's why I gave him a three. And so overall, run it back empathy, two and a half, integrity, three, five and a half total points, collaboration, five, ten and a half, vision, four, fourteen and a half, self awareness, two and a half. That gives us 17. And his X factor, three and a half, giving him a total score of 20 and a half out of 30.
1: That is Fred Hampton. Jordan, do you want to hit him with the outro? Absolutely, so, um, this will kind of be a closing thoughts on Fred Hampton, so Fred Hampton was an impact leader, somewhat of a like a high flying act of a leader. His highly persuasive and charismatic ways were amplified by his creative ways of problem solving with the non aggression pact and so on. His youth and his willingness to walk the walk with multiple public outreach programs he undertook um There are so many leaders that pair persuasiveness with cold and calculating precision. Uh, Fred Hampton used a technique that maximized the effectiveness of group achievement to goals, uh, common goals that is specifically in a field. Um, And I think that's really, really characteristic of a lot of military leaders, which makes sense being that the Black Panther Party was quite militant in character, um, where they would have large overarching goals that could only be achieved by a group effort over medium to long term horizons. This specific leadership strategy, um, I think, is perfect for the institutional racism Fred was and we are still up against. And um, I think that that's kind of is actual weakness in itself. Um, but I'll let you take it from there, Julian. Uh,
0: and so this uh, Sun Tzu quote, I think, captures it well. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of 100 battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Fred Hampton knew himself and played to his strengths, but clearly under, underestimated his enemy. He'd been tracked by the FBI since in high school, and of course, it'd be hard to assume that was happening. But after the assassination of MLK, it is arguable to think that Fred could have drawn eyes from work that he'd commenced, and continued on to tell and persuade a bigger mission. That's Fred Hampton.
1: I hope you guys enjoyed that and um, kind of follow us along in this journey and be an active participant in uh, looking closely at leaders. And, you know, if you have somebody that you think would be interesting to analyze, like we just did Fred, uh, please reach out to us, um, you know, through our our email which is uh the aboutcast at gmail.com um or also on anchor and the other sites that you can find us on um please leave us a you know rate us on uh, apple podcast google Podcasts, um and the like uh we greatly appreciate it and we really really enjoy giving you guys the the content that we can produce and the thoughts and the ideas um it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really something it's a privilege. Absolutely. So thank you all.
0: We appreciate your time. We appreciate you for listening
1: and we'll catch you
0: next time. Peace.